0: back everybody this is well, this is an interesting episode normally we have different programs here at the Inares project we have Trek Wars and we have our conversations on Inares. our Trek Wars program is usually dedicated to discussing social political economic themes that arise in pop culture and our conversations on Inares follows our traditional uh, mission of trying to have discussions with scholars, uh, artists, and organizers about questions about oppression, domination, and alternate futures. This episode is a combination of both of those things with some very special guests that I'm very excited to speak to you today with. Uh, so my guests today have written an article that appeared last, late last year in 2022 in the journal Perspectives on Anarchist Theory. And so our episode today is going to be talking about Anarchist themes in Star Trek Picard. So my my guests today have written this article called uh, 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 Bibliophilia and Anarchism in Star Trek Picard. And uh, I wanted to talk to them a little bit about uh, how they came to find uh, these kinds of revolutionary radical themes in uh, this series, which we've talked about on our programs I admit uh, I'm not a big fan of Star Trek: Picard, even though I'm a huge Trekkie. Uh, We've done uh, uh, various kinds of programs on, particularly episode or season two of Picard, which was not at all a favorite of mine. Uh, But uh, our my guests today have really done some great work at excavating some revolutionary and radical themes out of seasons one and two of Picard. So I wanted to talk with them about this work. Uh, My guests today are uh, Maria Ángeles Castro. Uh, She is a professor in the French and Spanish department at Occidental College in Los Angeles. And my other guest today is Javier Sethnes Castro. He's an author of a variety of different books, including Imperiled Life, Revolution Against Climate Catastrophe, uh, published by the uh, uh, AK Press. And Eros and Revolution, the Critical Philosophy of Herbert Marcuse, published by Brill. Uh, so I'm I'm very excited to have both of you here. Welcome to the program. So I, I wanted to talk to you about this article that you've written, uh, written uh, Bibliophilia and Anarchism and Star Trek Picard. But uh, I guess before I, we get to that piece, um, I just wanted to know, and this is something I ask all of my guests who would come to talk uh, on uh, Trek Wars, uh, I want to know how you first got interested in studying Star Trek from a scholarly perspective. Uh, yeah. So are, are you both fans of science fiction in general? Um, and what brings you to Star Trek and Star Trek Picard in particular?
1: I guess I I, I start. <laughs> um, to me, uh, living as Picard heroic characters do for a cause that will give meaning and hope to humanity and transhumanity is what brings me to this series, uh, to live in revolt and defiance with integrity. And Besides the philosophical um, considerations um, of the series, it's very fun and it's very entertaining. Um, I have seen uh, parts of Star Trek The Next Generation, and I liked many things about it. Um, I like the professionalism, work ethic of the Enterprise crew, um, Also what what draws me to the series is the theme or uh, themes of exploration of new worlds and cultures and interactions with the inhabitants of distant planets. Um, In the field of science fiction and visionary literature, I am a fan of Kim Stanley Robinson and Ursula Le Guin, as they both present alternative utopian societies that uh, reflects liberatory, political, and social views in a very, very engaging manner.
0: Um, Javier, what about you? What's your background in science fiction and Star
2: Trek? I've liked uh, sci-fi since watching Star Wars and reading and watching Jurassic Park as a child um, in the 90s. I first became interested in Star Trek when I first heard that it was a, a TV show that portrayed a progressive future in space. And so I've been watching Star Trek for about a decade now and I've seen all the series other than for Enterprise and Below Decks. I would say I appreciate sci-fi for its imagination, its socio-political commentary, and its cultural critique. I think that at its best, speculative or visionary fiction creates a second world or a mirror universe that's in constant communication with our own first world or prime universe. And actually, uh, in 2021, I wrote a three-part series for The Commoner on science fiction as protest art. And this was a response to Thomas Wilson Jardine's critique of the much-anticipated game Cyberpunk 2077 for promoting interpassivity or substitution. And what I mean is by that is that the argument is that games like cyberpunk that are subversive, that feature critical revolutionary themes, can actually function to distract from real world struggles rather than stimulate them. But I would say that there's a clear link between mental processes and material reality or between dreaming and politics. Walida Imarsha writes that, quote, all organizing is science fiction, end quote. Drawing on the late Slavist Richard Stites' analysis of utopian science fiction uh, writing early on in the Russian Revolution, we can discern dystopias that depict uh, capitalist hells alongside utopias featuring communist heavens in different books, films, TV shows, and games from the past half century plus. Some of these would include, you know, First of the Winds of the Dispossessed, films like Blade Runner, Terminator, The Matrix, um, Children of Men, Star Wars, books like The Earthseed series, The Mars Trilogy, uh, The Children of Man, The Novelization. And of course, let's not forget about Star Trek.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's precisely how we here at Anaris Project approach uh, visionary speculative uh, art in general, is by trying to see how it portrays perhaps a more liberatory future and what that can teach us about uh, our own reality and particularly the forms of struggle that we might need to engage in in order to achieve a more liberatory future. So uh, this is primarily why I was so interested in your work when I saw it. We on the program in the past, in the past two years or so or more that we've been doing uh, our our programming here, we've spoken with different people who have explored and investigated the Star Trek universe in various ways, looking uh, at different kinds of themes. We've spoken uh, with uh, someone who finds Star Trek to represent a, 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 a socialist Marxist Uh, Utopia. We've also spoken with a scholar who uh, tries to highlight the sort of imperial or colonialist themes in Star Trek to sort of push back against the kind of liberatory uh, themes that uh, we often so talk about in Star Trek. And so that's why I was particularly interested to find your work, because what you're trying to do is to talk about anarchist themes in Star Trek and particularly what you find coming out in Star Trek Picard. So I wanted to ask you before we get into that 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 discussion, um, could you discuss a little bit about how you understand our anarchism? What do you mean by anarchism uh, as a a worldview, as a perspective that you find embedded in in Picard? What what does anarchism mean to both of you, Maria? We can begin with you, or or Javier.
2: So, um, in terms of anarchism, I think um, well the the definition that I work from is Robert Graham's, which he proposes in the uh, 2015 book published by AK Press, We Do Not Fear Anarchy, We invoke It, which is a study, a historical study of the first international and the struggles between um, Bakunin and his uh, allies on the one hand and Marx and his followers on the other. So Graham, um, you know, in summarizing that history, uh, derives six anarchist principles. And um, so I'd like to list them here. These include anti-authoritarianism, anti-statism, anti-parliamentarism, federalism, libertarianism, and social revolution. So to this list, Jeff Shantz and Dana Williams add solidarity, mutual aid, cooperation, egalitarianism, and direct action as anarchist principles. So I would say um, that we see most of these principles in action in many, in most of the Star uh, Trek series, um, including in Picard, Above all, I would say that we see anti-authoritarianism, libertarianism, federalism, and direct action. Uh, I would—I mean—that that having been said, uh, I can definitely recognize, you know, in preparation for for this discussion and also thinking about our article, that the federation is not, of course, you know, fully anarchist by itself. I'd say that its political system and economic system is probably closer to democratic socialism because it's a post-capitalist society that has a uh, at least on earth has a unitary world government represented on the Federation Council, which is I guess something like a Congress or the United Nations General Assembly. Um, so I guess I guess the sharpest contradiction between uh between Federation politics, as we see in Star Trek, and anarchism would be with the question of statism and maybe also with parliamentarism. But you know, I think as we'll, as we'll discuss in our in our conversation today, certainly in Picard, there's a lot of direct act
0: Yeah, that's a good point. So, I mean, I think that you're right. You know, and this is something that uh, I've written about in my own work on Star Trek, is that Star Trek does put forward a kind of you know, and many people talk about this uh, and they've been talking about this for for decades, right? Progressive vision of humanity and particularly highlighting the kind of egalitarianism and uh, uh, racial justice uh, vision uh, that comes out for instance in the early uh, uh, original series, the sort of racially colorblind emphasis that comes out of that series. Um, And as you mentioned, there are a lot of people who sort of point out that there are still lingering kinds of colonial imperialist themes in the idea of going out into the final frontier in some sense, but um, I I like this idea of you finding uh, uh, these kinds of radical threads uh, in the Star Trek universe. And you've hinted at this already, that in some sense, right, the the Star Trek universe seems to be something that is, the Federation at least is built up on a kind of democratic socialist model, um, but that there are these embedded kind of anarchist notions in it, particularly like you were saying, direct action, um, mutual aid perhaps, solidarity awesome. are some of these ideas do you find in 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 Picard in particular
2: oh absolutely um direct action if you think about La Sirena you know the mission of La Sirena and its crew in both seasons definitely uh direct action you know Picard subverting the the Starfleet command by going on his own mission in the first season and then of course in the second season going back in time you know using the Borg Queen um definitely I would say it's very much a. uh a realization, or a or an allegory for, or well, not even even more than that, it's a direct visual portrayal of direct action.
0: Yeah, yeah that's and- interesting. I mean, because part of these things that you know, in in, in seasons one and season two, of Picard, right? Picard does have to sort of go go rogue in some sense, but that's because in some sense the the Federation has. Uh, lost its way it seems Uh, in uh, I mean Picard uh, this is the sort of whole story of the downfall of Picard in season one is that the Federation has lost its moral compass uh, and uh, no longer holding on to these kind of radical themes but has become more bureaucratic more nefarious more secretive uh, much more sort of um, focused on maintaining power Uh, so a, a kind of indictment often that anarchists give of bureaucratic parliamentary systems right that inevitably they start off perhaps with these kind of radical egalitarian ideas but then they move very quickly to a bureaucratic statism that loses uh, a moral authority and for sure that seems to
2: come out in season one of Picard absolutely and and uh in preparation for this uh episode I did also watch William Wynn's conversation weekly with you, the Star Trek Communists and I did appreciate his comment his analysis of star trek picard's first season as uh, he compared it to trotsky's the revolution portrayed which is quite yeah. interesting in the sense that uh, as you said that the revolution was betrayed uh, but and and to that point and going back to what you said a few moments ago i wanted to just say that although we although i think that it's true that the uh, federation um political system is democratic socialist we can make a we can make a comparison with the russian revolution and another revolutionary context where there is where there is a revolutionary situation that opens the field for many other different tendencies that might not be just limited to a bureaucratic socialism or bureaucratic authoritarianism you know it, it allows for anarchism council communism many other kinds of positive experiments and i think that that maybe in a certain sense our analysis is kind of in parallel to that that we see the anarchist threads that are still um existing in the federation even though it has become thoroughly bureaucratized
0: that's interesting so is, so uh, you know just to i guess wrap that that up is that how you understand the the radicality of the star trek universe uh, in some sense is that this is a space and where radical projects have been given a kind of room to be able to be explored by humanity in the future
1: the way the way i understand it is uh by by the characters' refusal to submit to these absurd and unjust rules and regulations, um, by their rebellious actions and decisions, and also by the great vitality and intensity that these heroic characters display in pursuing their dreams, And all of this is very contagious and very uplifting, and it elevates the audience to a level of moral consciousness without a doubt.
2: I would say in terms of the question of the radicality of Star Trek Universe, you know, um, a, a late edition that we didn't quite integrate into the article, uh, that we wanted to was to mention um, Jules Verne's Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea, specifically Captain Nemo's character, because Nemo uh, has a has a very advanced technological submarine, and he goes around sinking merchant and warships. So it's kind of like a it's kind of almost an anarchist, anti-militarist, not quite pacifist, but anti-commercial critique that we see there. And I think that that we can maybe make a connection with Starfleet's um vessels being primarily primarily exploratory and scientific rather than military in their in their function um and you know kim stanley robinson describes that verne was influenced by charles fouillet who was a preeminent feminist utopian socialist and theorist of the abolition of labor and sexual liberation some of these themes are certainly you know present in star trek if we look at the naked now the second episode of the next generation we see a shipwreck intoxication on the enterprise that activates free love almost as a general strike. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
2: Um, so age based hierarchies are inverted. Wesley Crusher becomes the captain. And then when Captain Picard tries to appeal to him, what he tells him, and I quote, is You, Picard, don't do the work yourself. You give the orders, but somebody else does it.
0: Right. Wow. I've never thought about that now, thinking about that, just like the sort of the 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 kinds of ways in which that that particular episode discusses, you know it's harkens back to all this kind of utopian literature of the, the Lupercalia, the Saturnalia, all these um, So i you know before I move on because I want to talk about some of the books that you mentioned in this as as, as part of your analysis, I just want to say I I want to encourage you and I want you to come back to talk <laughs> with me about your um, uh, your viewing of Star Trek lower decks with these themes in mind because i think that um uh i'm I'm a big fan of the animated series that have come out particularly lower decks because i think that it provides some really interesting um, um, class conscious critiques of the star trek universe in various ways ultimately i think it sort of reifies the progressive vision but it does raise some of these kinds of questions that you're bringing up and so I'd love to talk to you about that so we have I want to set a future date with both of you uh after you've seen lower decks to see how you might bring this analysis around to that particular series which I think you would both like but um it, you mentioned talking about Jules Verne and um uh, one of the things that your your article in Perspectives on Anarchist Theory does well is highlight the importance of uh, certain novels and stories in the actual portrayal uh, uh, of characters in Star Trek: Picard. Particularly in the first um, season, uh, you see books coming out quite a bit. All right there's a lot of mention of books and mention of stories, uh, particularly, for instance, uh, Asimov, uh, and then uh, Interestingly enough, and I, I did a video a little bit about this too. There is a lot of emphasis on Miguel de Unamuno, uh, the Spanish existentialist, and his relationship to to Rios. Rios is portrayed as reading Unamuno on the Serena, um, and so you you what you do in, in this article is you talk about how the importance of these uh, these different uh, authors and novels in the portrayal of radicality in Star Trek Picard. You you, you both point out that uh, these books somehow accentuate possible anarchist themes uh, or ideas. And so I was wondering if you could essentially explain a little bit about this emphasis on bibliophilia in Picard, um, how uh, the choice of using books to promote radical ideas comes out in season one particular and season two of Picard.
1: Well, the. The books that appear in Star Trek-Picard contain radical themes and ideas, and they provide a reinforcement of the narrative, uh, progressive values and meanings. Um, They also uh, reflect, they they also mirror the good or heroic characters' preoccupations with freedom, with justice, with inclusion and with rebelliousness. There are many books um, that appear in the series, but I will just mention and make a small analysis of the relationship between the narrative and the book that appears in the series. Um, The first book that the series show is The Complete Robot by Isaac Asimov. This uh, science fiction uh, literary creation emphasizes respect and uh, solidarity with android creatures, And this central theme reflects uh, Picard's radical concern with the need to include and protect life in general, Um, but especially the lives of advanced, intelligent, artificial beings within our universe, within our galaxy. Um, the second book that appears in the series Star Trek Picard is The Tragic Sense of Life by Miguel de Unamuno, the Spanish philosopher and professor of the University of Salamanca, who was also a member of the literary movement, The Generation of 98. Um, Captain Rios um who is the character who who is affected um, by this book, particularly at one point during the narrative says, and I quote, to be Starfleet to the core is my tragic sense of life. Um, Echoing Unamuno's revolutionary idea of sacrificing for others as his ultimate mission in life. And this sacrifice entails to save Android lives from the authoritarian aggression of the Romulan secret police, uh, the Zad Vash, against non-conventional outgroups. Uh, Rius, without a doubt, identifies with risk, and thus with the existential pain of living with the consciousness of death, which is a central idea in Unamuno's philosophy. Um, <clears throat> Besides these two books, uh, Star Trek Picard also includes the visual presence of other extraordinary radical books on the series. Of note, I would like to mention the novel The Stranger, L'Etranger, and the essay The Rebel, uh, or L'homme révolté, by Albert Camus. Uh, Camus was a political activist, and his books reflect um, his views against oppression and slavery, Um, The rebel is the study of rebellion and revolt and its motivations in societies. Um, The novel The Stranger centers on the theme of alienation in society and contains a profound critique of um, conformity and indifference as well. Um, uh, Picard and and Rios Echo and Camus do not believe in a system that has alienated me- them and others and, and thus act in a rebellious way against injustice by embracing a very dangerous and possibly suicidal mission to rescue and dread life um, in the galaxy. There are many other books in the series that I could discuss and summarize, but I will just say that their presence in the series emphasizes. The, the importance of living our lives or the lives of Star Trek Picard's characters as to make them worth living in their struggle against authoritarian values and viewpoints.
2: If I could just briefly add here, I'd like just to mention two uh, two titles. Uh, one would be Don Quixote, which is mentioned um not directly, but indirectly, when um the Admiral Admiral Clancy mentions to Picard that he's uh that he's a senile old fool, that he's quixotic, or I'm not sure if it was Picard that said it himself. But but anyway, yes, um, because definitely Picard is kind of a quixotic figure character who who um you know launches adventures uh that that indeed seek justice, uh, seek redress, uh as with uh, uh Dodge uh, uh, and Soji, the and Android uh, twin sisters. And not only that, but we also see the three musketeers. So Picard brings the three musketeers um, to the Romulan boy, um, uh, to as a, as a gift. And uh, we see definitely that also be reflected in 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 the crew of La Sirena, which which all is not it's it's more than just three people. But we can say that it's kind of like the three musketeers, and that they are taking direct action. They are united in a collective effort. Um, to defend principles. Of course we can we can definitely contrast the principles that are defended by the Tears, which are, you know basically royalism, uh, versus the principles of the federation, which are you know, enlightenment principles, socialist and, and even anarchist principles. Um, but yeah, I think that I agree with Pamela that you know most of the books that we see coming out in the series um, do indeed reinforce the progressive narrative.
0: So this is a really fascinating. Um, so I want I, I I want to ask you a question um, about Rios in particular. Uh-huh. Um, so uh, I last year uh, it, when season two ended, um, I did a program with my colleague Jason Scully, and we talked about the representations of mental health and race in season two uh, of Picard. One of the, and we both agreed that we did not like season two, uh, and, but you're making me reassess my evaluation and discussing this with you, but I wanted to ask you about Rios, my my feeling was I was really disappointed uh, with the way that Rios was treated and the way that he was dismissed in this series. I thought he was a very interesting character uh, because of the portrayal in season one. I wanted to see him as a Starfleet captain and we get a glimpse of him in that in season two, but then, right, spoilers, right? He is—he decides that he wants to go back and live in the 21st century uh, and build a life there knowing that World War III is about to break out at any minute in that in that timeline. Um, And I just felt that Rios was done wrong by this series. Uh, I felt that it was a really interesting character, particularly a, a, you know, one of our first prominent uh, Latinx captains gets shunted away in a way that felt at the time, perhaps not authentic to the character. But I'm reassessing that now based on what you said, because maybe him going back in time to help humanity at one of its. Darkest periods, right? Right before nuclear catastrophe, maybe that was him being consistent with his tragic sense of life. Do you have any thoughts about that? Am I, am I misreading Rios here, or, or was Rios really just done wrong in season two? How do you do?
2: What. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, certainly, I, I can see, I can see what you mean by that. Because, and even in season one, I think uh, there was there was kind of some loss uh, lost potential um, for where where his character could have gone. I mean, definitely, it was very interesting to see the his split. How he had uh, what was it like five or six uh, doubles uh, on Lassina in the first in the first season, who were his comrades or his companions because he didn't seem to have any. Uh, and of course, you know, it was obviously, uh, as I haven't seen the episode you mentioned, uh, Jose Antonio, but um, I can imagine what you're talking about, because uh, clearly there is a lot of uh, psychiatric mental health uh, implications in Reeves' character, especially in season one, but also in season two. And I, I definitely, I can sympathize with what you mean that, yeah, he kind of did uh it was a tease, you know, it, the few scenes that we see where the, um, before the boar Queen, does her thing, or, or you know, at the beginning of the season, and then at the end, he is there for just a moment as the Star Trek captain. But then he, I guess, chooses the domestic narrative, right? Which is, I guess, I don't know. I could, it could go both ways because, in a certain sense, you know, he's kind of uh, rejecting the 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 sacrifice that Starfleet, of course, entails, right? Which is, uh, you know, losing your life out in the Delta Quadrant or something like that on on some highly secret mission. Versus, you know, having some kind of a family love, family life, um, uh, an adopted son, and so on. So I I, I can see, I can definitely see what you mean, but I can also see how it might, the argument might go both ways in that sense.
0: Yeah, part of the reason (laughs) I think that it's interesting is because, you know, based on what you said, Maria and Javier, um, I mean, apparently, according at the end of season two, the Rios died in a bar fight in North Africa somewhere in the 21st century, but that he devoted his life to trying to uh, ship medical aid around the globe um, with his newfound wife that he met uh, during season two. So part of it is he sacrificed the life of a Starfleet captain to go back for domesticity to a certain extent, but he was also still this kind of a uh, rogue character that was out helping the world. as I mentioned at a time that the world is collapsing in the twenty first century, right? this is the this is the, the dystopian part of the Star Trek universe is that in order to get to the utopia that we've been talking about, humanity has to go through this really awful period that uh, culminates in nuclear catastrophe, uh, as we see depicted in star strange new World season one. Um but Rios uh, sort of jumps in the midst of some of the one of the worst periods of humanity to do his work uh, and so i don't know perhaps i'm i'm you know i'm now thinking sort of off the cuff but maybe rios wasn't done poorly in this series maybe he lived his life according to the principles that we saw being laid out in season one which is a matter of rebelliousness risk taking but risk taking for a greater sense of justice if we read rios that way that's how he lived and died in season mm-hmm. two
1: yeah, so, it's almost like a sacrificial sacrificial death,
0: right? Right, right, right. Um, well, I don't know. So, you so in this conversation, you've made me reassess my opinion of uh, uh, season two. Uh, I still miss Rios. Uh, I wish we had more Latinx uh, representation in Star Trek, but um, this was a powerful character, and maybe more powerful now for what you've said to uh, in well, the conversation. So, well,
1: I'm glad that that. Um, our perceptions had some type of uh, illumination or yeah. enlightenment
0: yeah no i appreciate that thank you um well if so, i could just uh, add jose antonio
2: sorry yeah. if i could just interject well actually it's really funny because uh now that the way that you're framing it and i had kind of forgotten the uh, you know uh rios's end uh in the end of season two but the way that you're framing it now i kind of think it does actually fit with Camus uh, and his critique because Camus. Was very very focused on the critique of authoritarian leftism, uh, bureaucratic communism, Stalinism. That's why he, you know, had his friend break up with Sartre specifically on this question of, you know, because he was an anarcho was versus Sartre at that time was a Stalin sympathizer. And you know, I definitely recall in the the Rebel that Camus, one of his main lines of critique there is that the rebel, the anarchist, the activist should not have to decide should not have to you know choose between pleasure and sacrifice that both of those are actually an essential part of the revolutionary life that's it's that's remained etched in my mind so i think that is very much consistent with the way that you're just presenting the rios's um, end wow fascinating yeah
0: i don't think i would have come to that sort of reading without you two so thank you um well let me let me ask you this a little bit about um some critiques of the <laughs> the the sort of radicality of Star Trek. Um, As you've mentioned, uh, Javier, um, in the past, we've talked with people will uh, win that, for instance, the Star Trek communist, who in his view sees Star Trek, the universe as uh, embodying what he considers largely a kind of a Marxist-Leninist perspective. Uh, But we've also talked with uh, Lee McKagan on the program uh, and her work, and uh, whether or not the Federation is an empire, um, and so both of you have talked a little bit about how you think that Star Trek is the universe uh, emphasizes overall these kinds of these messages of a progressive future of a a, of a rebellious character standing against authoritarianism. Uh, I wanted to ask you though, you know, this is in the context of uh, of the Federation of a kind of utopia that. Um, is about going, after all, to strange new worlds, right? That in itself, some people have criticized as sort of having these these highlights of a colonial perspective, uh, like who are they strange for? Um, And so that Star Trek may have these radical ideas, but fundamentally it begins from a kind of colonial human-centric perspective about going out in space, I I wanted to know in your overall sense, is Star Trek, the universe, this kind of fixture of pop culture, somewhere that we can go to learn about radical ideas? Or do you think that it's just too compromised by some of these colonial assumptions to be enlightening about what something like anarchism is today? I mean, so in, in other words, like if you wanted, if someone wanted to know what anarchism is, um would you would you recommend them star trek the star trek universe as a place maybe to think about these themes, uh or is it too watered down in the kind of radicality that you think it presents to be useful for us to learn about radical ideas today
2: yeah thanks for that question i thought a lot about it in the last few days um so i have a lot of comments to share on, on these questions uh i would say i would you know fundamentally i would say that it's not uh excessively compromised uh i would encourage people my friends uh, people i don't know society in general humanity to watch star trek absolutely um big fan of star trek I th- and i think i want to i want to push back a little bit uh, i want to talk about nguyen's representation of star trek because i thought fo- i found that very thought-provoking and also dr mckagan's um because i want to i want to push back a little bit on both of them so i think we'll have a little bit of political not in a bad way though so um, I mean, it's clear that Star Trek, uh, the Star Trek universe presents a positive future of cosmic communism and Enlightenment rationalism, as, you know, in other, other episodes you've had, Jose Antonio, where have shown that scarcity profit classes are abolished on Earth and across the Federation with the help of science and technology. War is abolished within the uh, uh, borders of the Federation. And this echoes Immanuel Kant's vision of perpetual peace. Of course, to your, to your point and the question that you're posing, you know, Uh, it's incontestable that Kant was a sexist and white supremacist. So Deep Space Nine, which, uh, you know, coming after after The Next Generation, presents, kind of introduces a lot of these more critical concepts. Um, In Deep Space Nine, we see the uh, two-part episode, Past Tense, which shows how the so-called bell Bell riots in San Francisco uh, paved the way for the coming of the Federation. And, of course, you know, The Next Generation itself begins with an allegory two-part episode where the crew of the Enterprise liberates uh, a being that had been imprisoned and exploited by the bandy species at Farpoint Station. Plus, uh, Lieutenant Riker later reveals that humans in the Federation no longer enslave animals for food purposes. I think this vegan critique was kind of lost along the way, but it's it's still definitely there in in the next generation. And to the question of imperialism, well, I think we have to think about, you know, Starfleet's prime directive, also known as the non-interference directive, Uh, which is Starfleet's general order number one. The Prime Directive, of course, is meant to respect the internal development of cultures and civilizations that Starfleet Moos might encounter, much in the way that I think national sovereignty is supposed to be protected uh, in the United Nations system so as to prevent a return to colonialism as in the 19th century. Um, So in this sense, we can interpret the Prime Directive as being fundamentally anti-imperialist, although, you know, yeah, much of the drama of Star Trek is based on the numerous violations of this prime directive uh, across many of the series. Um, and I want to add here that, you know, we we understood that there was a rumor, though not confirmed, that Roddenberry himself, Gene Roddenberry, was uh, sympathizing with Trotskyism. Um, and we can kind of, in this sense, we can kind of uh, interpret the Borg, the struggle with the Borg as an anti-Stalinist or an anti-Maoist critique in the sense that the war presents as very aggressive, highly technologically advanced, uh, having a collective consciousness, and being bureaucratic and authoritarian.
0: Um, yeah, can I stop you just a minute there, Javier? Sure. So that point about Roddenberry, I hadn't heard before, and so uh, and I, it was the first time I saw that in your article. Could you could you explain that a little bit? Because this is something that I don't know is particularly widespread. Um, this 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 rumor or this this potential connection uh, of, sure. uh, of 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 Roddenberry personally well, to some kind of radical movement.
2: Sure. So my understanding is that he was rumored to be a member of the Socialist Workers Party, which was, which is still a Trotskyist organization. Um, I had read that uh, that that was somewhere located online in like the nineties or two thousands, but by the time that I had you know looked into it myself, the the website was erased, so I couldn't find it either way. But I think that that you know it definitely could fit um, uh, with you know to Will Nguyen's point about the revision portrayed. I think that that, that the, the Trotskyist critique of the bureaucratization of the revolution—you can see that even in the next generation episode on conspiracy, where you know the star for the command itself has become corrupt. Um, let me see. Yeah, thank you. So, I, I just apologize
0: for breaking in and what you were saying, but I want no, to fine. follow that up because I thought that that was a really fascinating point that I'd never heard about. So thank you.
2: Absolutely, uh, but I think also we can see some of the some of the traces of Trotskyism in the in starfleet uh, federation um politics for example you know as nguyen has pointed out um you know rank is is remains within the starfleet command or you know the stars the starfleet ships whereas in the russian revolution rank was definitely abolished early on Stalin and re- reimposed it um and um and i also wanted to mention here before i go to the question of imperialism because i really want to focus on that But I want to also mention something very new, which is that um, Star Trek, together with Leonard Leonard, Leonard Nimoy's family, uh, have teamed up with LA Care, which is an insurance company here in LA um, that serves a low-income population. It's basically a medical expansion program. So Star Trek and the Nimoy family have come together with LA Care to promote vaccination for COVID-19 in certain Los Angeles um, neighborhoods. And so this is kind of a very interesting thing um, because it shows kind of how the Star Trek uh, message of rationalism, humanism, collective well-being, um, and you know, and and support of science uh, can actually play a role in our own world, you know, today. And it's also kind of interesting because it seems that by doing this, uh, the Neway family and whoever at Star Trek is getting involved is kind of taking a stance against. All this anti-vaccine conspiracism, and obviously, you know, the great, great uh, worldwide damage and and mass death that COVID nineteen has has implied. Um, so I just wanted to, I just wanted to now address the question of colonialism and imperialism in, in Star Trek. So I did, you know, uh, a few minutes ago mentioned the Prime Directive, which is a very important thing to to think about. Um, and uh, so Dr. McKagan is she she was analyzing Voyager in the episode that I saw with you um and she was mentioning how voyager um the narrative champions liberalism western humanitarianism um but i wanted to ask here, you know well, what about the maquis because the maquis are kind of like this rebel movement within uh starfleet or within the federation who are kind of reminiscent of pirates almost like even i want to even go as far as to say that they're like kind of launched at sailors from the russian revolution in the sense that they are calling the federation on its own principles in the sense that you know they're being oppressed by Cardassia, which is another empire a very violent totalitarian empire um and they're taking direct action against Cardassia to the disapproval of the of the federation right so it's kind of a very interesting um subplot that we see there at the end of the next generation with uh bro Laren. um and then i and then so i want to conclude here um on the point about imperialism because i think that you know there's almost a sense that cross cultural interaction is imperialist or racist in itself and of course there is a large possibility there as edward said in orientalism has shown us as many post colonial theorists have shown us definitely but i wouldn't want to say that it's 100% necessarily has to be that way we have to look at the specifics of it all so you know, Jose Antonio, in your conversation with Dr. Uh, McKagan, you mentioned how the original series of Star Trek was uh, originally conceived as a frontier Western, right? And, but I want to also here mention that, you know, Soldier Blue, which was a, a film that came out in 1970, was also a Western, but Soldier Blue was an extremely critical film of uh, of a massacre, the Sand Creek Massacre of 1864 against indigenous Cheyenne and Arapaho peoples. So it's very much anti-militaristic, uh, anti-imperialistic film protest film that also equally in parallel was seeking to protest the vietnam war you know very similar atrocities happening there so i think that 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 kind of critique uh, well that kind of artistic juxtaposition very much plays out in star trek where we see the original series criticizing the cold war the vietnam war white supremacy and i think it's kind of i want to make a, a parallel here between star trek and the writings of lev tolstoy because Tolstoy, of course, he was a Russian, um, a great Russian, a white Russian, a privileged Russian, who in his youth, uh, you know, fought in the Russian military in the Caucasus, right? Very much an imperialistic um, enterprise, we can say. But in his writings, you know, through his writings, through his experiences with war, he came to he came to criticize or to become critical of imperialism and expansionism and and, and racism. Uh, as we see in the Cossacks and Hadjin Red. So I think in a certain way, we can see Star Trek, uh, we can analyze Star Trek in a similar way. And it's not for nothing, I want to say here that, you know, the USS Tolstoy is mentioned uh, during the Battle of Wolf 359, which is, you know, a very famous uh, battle between the Borg Cube and Starfleet armada that fails in defending against it. And then, so the last thing I want to say here is that, you know, to the question specifically, is the Federation an empire? Well, Imperialism implies coercion. In the federation, new planets that want to join the federation have the choice to join them or not. I, I believe, on the other side, that the federation itself has, you know, in the federation council, can also vote on new members. Although I might be mistaken about that. And I also understand that you know, member planets of the federation are allowed to secede, or at least there are some kind of some kind of pro, uh, po- protocols for that uh, possibility, which suggests that it's not an empire. So, you know, if we look at freedom of association, non-intervention via the prime directive, I would say that this is not really imperialism,
0: yeah. i um I, I think that those hit all the right notes uh, in thinking about this. I've often said that, you know, the biggest piece of evidence for against the idea that it's imperialist is, in fact, the the general order number one, the prime directive. I mean, because I think that that's a sort of conscious um a conscious kind of tool brought into the universe uh to to think about what what are the ethical implications of cross-cultural interaction uh and so i think that the early on they were trying to think about this in various ways and so while it was portrayed you know did have star trek the original series had the kind of narrative markers of a western of going from town to town place to place Um, they were aware in some sense of the problems that that brings across with paternalism with coercion as you've mentioned and I think over the decades they've tried to build a kind of a a way of thinking about that mechanisms of thinking about what would it be to be in an association a a galactic association based on principles of non-intervention and free association as you mentioned so I think that I think that there's something right to that and um, I mean I think that something that again i want to encourage you to think about watching lower decks and picard or i'm not sorry lower decks and uh prodigy the other animated series because something that's come out in both of those uh animated series is what is the potential damage to a civilization as a result of first contact with uh the federation um and does the federation live up to its obligations after first contact so raising these kinds of questions about you know once first contact is made with a strange new world what do then become the ethical obligations of an organization like the federation to a people like that uh and can this be really dangerous and destabilizing to a civilization to be contacted in that way and so i I found that that um those kinds of reflections coming out of the animated series to be something that actually reverberates with a lot of the kind of work that I think that uh, Ursula Le Guin did with some of her science fiction with the the care that she builds into thinking about first contact and you know and the and the deep study that needs to take place sometimes for generations before uh uh the her version of the federation can actually contact with a civilization. So I think that you're right. I think that Star Trek has built in mechanisms over time to to be much more sophisticated about these questions about uh, imperialism Uh, And the last thing I'll say about this is I had a conversation once with the science fiction writer David Brin uh, about the militarism of Star Trek. And he said, yes, uh, the Starfleet is kind of a a militaristic order. It has rank and so forth. He says, but it's not a Navy in the traditional kind of sense of the Navy. He said, if I thought about it, this David Brin, he said, I think it's more of like the U.S. Coast Guard, (laughs) sort of a, a kind of a military military light, as he put it. Not to say that, you know, that service isn't hard, but it's it doesn't have the same kind of militaristic sort of uh, uh, overtones that something like the U.S. Navy does or the Marines. Um, I guess that could be debatable in some ways, but I thought that it was interesting that when we think about what does militaristic mean, there could be a variety of different ways in which we take that. And I think that Star Trek, too, if you think about what happens in the next generation... Yes, the, the the Enterprise D is a Starfleet vessel. Yes, there's rank, but it's a weird kind of ship because there's families. It's more like a cruise ship than anything. So if it's a military ship, it's a very odd and strange kind of military. And maybe that means that part of what the, the 23rd century means for us is reassessing what it means to have a military or to have something like that as part of our societies maybe the military gets reassessed in some kind of way that it becomes something different um I mean that's a that's an interesting conversation to think about as well um But I want to start wrapping up this conversation, even though I could go on for hours with Mm -hmm. you both about some of this stuff. Um, I wanted to ask you uh, about where you're going with this kind of project now. I know that this isn't the first time that you've written about finding radical themes in popular culture. Um, In fact, uh, in your article uh, uh, in Perspectives on Anarchist Theory, you talk about how you did a reading of this kind of sort uh, of Wagner's The Ring um, and I, I just wonder, given your, your your interest in science fiction themes, are are you thinking about doing this kind of uh, excavation of radical ideas in other places of pop culture, and other in other uh, stories of science fiction? Uh, where does your work go now? <laughs>
1: well um javier and i as you just mentioned did uh, wrote an article on um the affinities between um the classical composer richard wagner and uh, the philosopher uh, mikhail bakunin um and we we um wrote about different themes such as feminism anti-feminism revolutionism uh, and anti-semitism and um That was a really fun project, but not exactly pop culture, more like um, high culture, uh, classical music versus philosophy. Uh, Right now, we are discussing another project, but not on pop culture. Mm, uh, We are, um, mm, we are thinking about uh, writing about the uh, philosophy of um, the classical composer Gustav Mahler and in fact um, we I think we mentioned this in our article the first two notes of the first symphony of Mahler um, um, the first two notes of of the musical uh, theme of Star Trek is the are the first two notes of the first symphony of Mahler Uh, but about pop culture we at the moment Maybe we'll have to come up with an interesting project.
2: Yeah, I mean, for my own uh, my own intellectual work, I do have a, an upcoming review about pop culture of Cyberpunk 2077, which is kind of the thing that all this started a couple of years ago. Actually, it's very interesting. I really enjoyed it. Um, uh, really you yeah, know science fiction uh, all all the all the themes anti-capitalist themes and anti-authoritarian themes but again all you know the contradictions of of, of uh you know science fiction media and, and profit and all that too um beyond that i did just finish uh ra- i wrapped up a, a review collective book review of uh, different recent anti-fascist volumes um and also i have a new book coming out later this month called Queer Tolstoy*. Uh, so I'm, you know, planning the book uh, release, the the book launch, and uh, other book tour events um, for that, um, but yeah, thanks so much, José Antonio, uh, for giving us this space, For really, really, yeah, thank it. you so
1: much, thank you so much for your interest,
2: no, I in thank you both course. for your work in all of this,
0: I mean, I want to encourage you, as if you're thinking about, I mean, you sound both very busy in your work, uh, I do want to encourage you uh, to think about uh, spending some time with lower decks. Okay, uh, and, we can do and, that and, and perhaps Prodigy and come back and talk about what you think about radical themes embedded in there. Um, <laughs> but uh, I want to thank you for your work. I found it, as I you know, just have said, uh, just in this conversation, I've come to reassess a certain kind of understanding I had about the Star Trek universe. Um, I would love to see this kind of analysis that you bring to other sorts of works. Uh, I know, for instance, like Leah McKagan has done, uh, has extended her uh, analysis of imperialism to other franchises like Battlestar Galactica. She has, I think, a couple of articles on imperialist themes there, which I think is a little bit more obvious, but perhaps uh uh something to look at it'd be interesting to see what you think about finding anarchist uh, and revolutionary themes and other sorts of these major sort of pop culture franchises, Battlestar Galactica or uh the big one that we will probably see in the next year or so um on screen Dune oh absolutely yeah, so uh, in any case, I would love uh, if you uh, come up with some more ideas of any of these kinds of franchises to come on back and speak with uh, speak with us here. Uh, it would be my pleasure to uh, uh, unpack some of these ideas with you. Wonderful. Absolutely.
1: Thank you so much.
2: Thank you much. Absolutely. Thanks a lot,
0: Jose Antonio. All Enjoy right, it. well, thank you. My guests have been uh, Maria and Javier Castro uh, talking about anarchism in Star Trek Picard. Uh, thank you both for your time and thank all of you for sharing your time uh, listening to us or watching us uh, on our video platforms Uh, if you have any questions or if you'd like to talk about some of the radical ideas that you have found in star trek or star trek picard in general uh, star trek picard season three is coming out in about uh, another uh, month or so so we're looking forward to that but we'd love to hear your thoughts please go ahead and leave us a comment we will leave a link to um Javier and Maria's article in our program notes, so you can take a look at that. Let us know what you think. Um, but please let us uh, know your thoughts. Uh, you can find the uh, Inarius Project on a variety of different social media, including Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Mastodon. Uh, we'd love to chat with you. So thank you once again, Javier and Maria. Pleasure to meet you
2: both.